Well, hello again, everyone. Welcome to the Red and White Authority. I'm Art Regner. This is episode 122. Our guest is the scouting director for TSN. No stranger to this program. He's been on more than anybody, I'm pretty sure. Haven't checked it. Kevin Allen might... Uh, might say he's been on more, but anyway, it is Craig Button, but I want to remind everyone that the Red and White Authority is presented by Labatt Blue. Hey, whether it's winter, spring, summer, or fall, it's always a good time for Labatt Blue, but especially this time of year. It's hot outside after that long, hard day at the work. Who knows? Maybe the boss is nagging on you. You get home, what's the first thing you do? Of course, you reach for a Labatt Blue. It is the official Canadian beer of the Detroit Red Wings, but as always, we ask that you drink Labatt Blue responsibly. And with that big introduction, uh, let's bring in uh, Craig Button. Craig, thanks for joining us. It's always a pleasure. Well, it's always a pleasure for me too, Art. You know that. We talk about it and, you know, I, I, you know, you come to the World Junior Summer Showcase and you see all these players that you've been watching for years and now they're, they're being evaluated and you're looking at them in a, in, in a different environment and it's so neat because, I, as you've heard me say many a times, you know, it's a, it's a progression, it's a process and you're trying to watch these players over a period of time and continue to build the book on them. Right, and, and this is a wonderful tournament and I, I would imagine how big of a tournament is this? There's probably more who's who of hockey as far as general managers, scout, head coaches are here that may be actual fans at times, but it's just a, a wonderful environment. And even though the kids feel the pressure because they're, they're going trying to make their world junior teams uh, that, that in the tournament that happens in uh, late December, early January, but they, they also seem to be more relaxed and a little more open. And, and, and it, you get to know them a little bit. Well, and, and I think that, uh, you know, the individual countries, there's four countries here, USA, Canada, Sweden, and Finland. You know, these players have been part of their national program, so they know what to expect. And, you know, you talk about the GMs being here and the assistant GMs and coaches. Well, the NHL season doesn't afford the, that, the, the real opportunity to go and watch players. And then when you get all these top players in one environment, you know, it just works out perfectly. For, for everybody, you know, and, and the players, hey, they want to put their best foot forward every time they step out on the ice, and they want to make a really positive impression on the coaches of the respective national teams. Well, yeah, it, two years ago, it was the summer showcase was here at USA Ice Arena here in, in Plymouth, Michigan, and it seemed to me, and maybe because Rasmus Dahlin was here, that there were more draft eligible kids, guys that were going to be in the, in that case, I guess it would be the 2018 draft. This time around, out of the 133 hockey players that are here, 117 of them have already been drafted. Am I just dreaming that, or is that an extraordinarily high amount? No, I, well, you're not dreaming it, but here's what I would tell you. There's five players here that haven't been drafted, that are legitimate top 10 picks. Right. So, you know, and I think that, okay, so Rasmus Dowling comes here. Last year where the World Junior Summer Showcase was in uh, Kamloops, well, Jack Hughes and Capocacco were there, right? right? So right. when you start to look here, and I mean, uh, I mean, Anton Lundell, who plays for Finland. I mean, he was a member of the Finnish World Junior Championship gold medal winning team last year. So he, he's a top player. Then you got the two Swedes, Lucas Raymond and Alexander Holtz. And I mean, these are two 17-year-olds that are going to be on the Swedish World Junior team. They're going to be prominent members of the Swedish World Junior team. Absolutely top 10 picks. You have Justin Barron playing for the uh, playing for Team Canada, a, a late 01 birthday. You know, plays uh, with Jared McIsaac, a Detroit Red Wings draft pick in Halifax, went to the Memorial Cup. So, you know, yeah, the, but the World Junior Summer Showcase mostly has drafted players, but it never lacks top-end players. Right, it never right, does. Right. And, 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 and I would be remiss not to mention that Alexi Lafreniere is here, who I have not seen a better player for the 2020 NHL draft. He, I mean, right now, if there's a better player than Alexi, just point me in the direction and tell me where he is. Well, he was part of Canada's top line that beat the United States a couple of days ago, and then the rematch will be on Saturday afternoon at 4 o'clock. He was on the line with Kirby Dock, who I, this is an expression I don't use. I don't know if it's the kids use it anymore, but sick passing skills, <laughs> unbelievable. And and then Joe Valeno, who in his own right, 104 points last year in the Quebec League for uh, for Drummondville. That line by far has been the dominant line, and uh, 
uh, I can see why uh, the gentleman is going to be a number, the number one pick overall. I mean, I, I, you know, I, if Red Wing fans were here, I think they'd be salivating at maybe the prospects. Uh, not saying the team's not going to be good, but, you know, I mean, have a shot at someone like him. Well, and, and, and you just nailed it. Have a shot at somebody like him. Like, if you're not in the playoffs, right, and you're, you're, you're in a position where your odds of winning the lottery are, are, are higher than, than being, you, you know, in one of those just outside the playoff spots, you know, for, for a player like Lafreniere to be a possibility for a team, you do salivate and you do get excited about what that type of player can mean to a franchise. You know, I'm watching him play, and it's the first time I've ever seen him, uh, uh, Lafreniere, uh, is that it's always the anticipation. He seems to think the game ahead of most players. I mean, you can tell by the way, he, first he's a great skater and he's all over the ice, but he just has another gear or factor that most players just don't have. Well, you know, one of the things you, you hear coaches say this all the time, we got to play fast. We want to play fast. Right. It's one of those, you know, terms that gets used often and sometimes we don't put definition to it. So what does it mean to play fast? Well, I've seen lots of great skaters move fast, and guess what? They're moving fast to nowhere. <laughs> like, <laughs> right, right. Players like Alexi Lafreniere, the exceptional players, Jack Hughes, those players, it's the mind speed. It's their awareness. It's right. their understanding of what's unfolding in front of them and then being able to anticipate, to read the play, to understand that that player is in a vulnerable spot. I can break him down. The exceptional players all have that, and certainly Alexi Lafreniere possesses that in a, in a significant way. Let's look at the 2020 draft coming up, a real real early preliminary. I, I, uh, last year's draft, especially if you're a fan of USA hockey, uh, with the, that under the, the U18 team was just loaded, and then the USHL had also, and not only just Americans are in that league, but a lot of great high-end American talent. Uh, I'm sure that USA Hockey would like to have that the norm, but how special was the American talent last year? And is are these kids have a lot of pressure coming up into 220? Well, let me break it into two parts. So, okay. so let me talk about the National Team Development Program. So I, I lived in Ann Arbor for 12 years. I saw the first iteration of the National Team Development Program, and I've seen every iteration since. The 2001 birth year was the best I've ever seen. I, I call it a generational team. We right. talk about generational players. Right. It was a generational team. I mean, you, you consider the goaltender Spencer Knight, you consider the blue liners, you know, Cam York, Alex Vlasic, you know, then you start to go up front. I mean, Jack Hughes and Alex Turcotte and Cole Caulfield and Matthew Boldy and Trevor Zegras, Johnny Beecher. I can go on and right, on right, and right, on. Right. I mean, when you, when you consider that that team had not only great success, they had great individual success. I mean, Spencer Knight has the all-time wins record for goaltenders. Cole Caulfield has the all-time goals record. I mean, he obliterated Phil Kessel's record. Right. And then you have Jack Hughes, who owns the all-time points record here. I mean, and we're not talking about players, like they're breaking records of players that are stars in the NHL, right? right? So it's not like, you know, that, that, these are, that, that the previous group of players wasn't good, but to have that collection of players on one team, that's what makes it generational, and I think we saw that with seven of them going into the first 15 picks of the NHL draft. Now, as we talk about USA Hockey as a whole, you know what? USA Hockey has done a fantastic job developing players, giving players different opportunities to develop. Right. The National Team Development Program, the brainchild of uh, Jimmy Johansson, you know, the, the late Jimmy Johansson, mm -hmm. you know, the, and, and what a terrific foresight he had in, in thinking about this program. But the USHL, you know, in terms of, you know, their players getting really quality coaching and really quality development. You know, you see player Ryan Johnson, who's here with USA. I mean, won a championship with Sioux Falls. I mean, they went to the World Junior A Challenge last year and won gold. So, you know, it's not just at the World Junior level that they're competitive. It's at the U17 level. It's at the Junior A level. It's at the it's at the under 18 level. So, the players that are being developed, they're being allowed to develop. In, in many different ways, in many different environments, but those environments are all good depending on where you're at in the cycle and what you may need. Right, well, and and it, it is showing, it shows in USA Hockey, but I think the thing that's more astounding to me, Craig, over the years, and I followed this, you know, almost my whole life, or, uh, is that the influence of Europeans and Europeans' talent and how in many of these kids, 
you, know, you would talk to, you know, not to name drop, but Nick, you know, Lidstrom would, would tell me, he never dreamt of playing in the NHL. He wanted to make his national team right. and, and win the world championship and compete in, for gold medals in the Olympics. Now you talk to these kids, and many of them, or young men maybe I should say, say, you know, I want to go over to North America and play in the USHL or play uh, college hockey. I want to get on that small ice surface because my goal is the NHL. Uh, I, I would imagine, and maybe this is an obvious question, but I would imagine with the success that Europeans have had in the NHL makes all, you know, makes their respective countries kids want to do the same thing. It, it absolutely does. And, and, and I mean, every kid in Sweden that watched Nick Lidstrom play so successfully in the NHL, brilliantly, one of the best ever on the blue line. Right. No, no, those kids say, hey, listen, I can be that player. And now, now you're watching the Victor Hedmans and you're watching these, I mean, Henrik Zetterberg who played for the Red Wings, who was right. just such a phenomenal player. But, you know, when Nick was coming up at, at, at this age, 17, 18, 19, he, he, played in his, he played in his country, he played in his own environment. And then they'd go to the, an international competition, they go, oh wow, now we see these players. The young players now get an opportunity to compete against one another. And not only do they get to right. measure themselves against these players, it, 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 they get to compete against them, but just as importantly, they get to take things from them. How do that? How does that team play? And so when you start to think about international competition and them starting at a younger age, U15, U16, U17, U18, and that's all around the world. The Russians, the, the Czechs, the Swedes, the Finns, the USA, the Canadians, they're all playing. So it helps coaches, it helps players, and, and, and ultimately what we end up getting is we get this great blend of all the best of what each country can offer in terms of tactics and skill and what what not i mean there's certain basic elements but you know you you're around them and you're thinking hey, that's a good way to play why don't we try that or that young players getting an opportunity why don't we try our young players so it just it, it to me it's just this uh, feeding frenzy of, of talent and knowledge and, 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 and ability to be creative in terms of development you know that's an interesting point you bring up craig because i talking to jeff blashell i asked him i said well now that uh you know, what is USA hockey if you have to have a definitive moment? You know, certain teams, you know, are, are known, you know, the left wing lock for the Red Wings years ago and, uh, you know, the, you know, the jersey trap and all that kind of stuff. I said, what, what, what's USA hockey? He says, you know, hockey has evolved to such a place now that everybody essentially plays the same style. There might be a few variations from country to country, but he kind of, you know, intimated that the reason that is is because you're, as you just said, they're all taking from each other. So we're seeing a brand of hockey when the very best of the very best, and they're here at the World Summer Showcase, come together. These teams are mirror images of one another almost. Well, and 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 but when you take the best of everything, right? Right. right. Hopefully that it, it it raises everything up where now the whole entire product becomes at such a high level. And when you take the best of everything and incorporate it and meld it, well, it is going to be the same to Jeff's point, right? And, right, right. You know, Scott Sandlin, who's going to coach the World Junior Team uh, again, you know, he was asked, uh, what's the identity of this team going to be? And he said, I'm not really sure yet. He goes, right. you know what, we want to we want to see where our players are at, what type of team we have, and you know, and, and so there is room for customization. Right. But in terms of the talents and the skills and the tactics in terms of, of, of game strategy, I mean, there's a lot of similarity there. But sometimes you don't have the players to play a certain mm -hmm. way, and so you have to let that evolve as well. I think that Scott Sandlin's comment, you know, letting that evolve and not just saying, oh, we're going to be this type of right, team. Right, well, right. You can't be this type of team if you have, don't have the players that fit that, right? Like, right, I mean, right, right. No, know, that's exactly right. If you're in a drag race and you've got a you got an Indy car, guess what? Your chances aren't very good. And if you got <laughs> right. a, and if you got a drag racing car and you're in a Formula One race, you oh. got no chance. Yeah, yeah, so you right. better know what you got and you better know what race you're in. Wow, well, <laughs> you know, I you know I know we're jumping around. I always do like when I jump around. Craig, I jump around just as much as you. Yeah, so you, don't I mean, have to make you know. So what, whatever question I ask. We may or may not get to it or answer it, but uh, let's go to the, the a preliminary 2020 draft. How does it stack up? Last year, the 19 draft was supposed to be uh, very, uh, uh, you know, heavy forwards. 
and I'll ask you this when we get into what how the Red Wings did, but it seemed as soon as uh, Mo Sider went, there was a run on defenseman, which I think kind of shocked everybody it happened so early, but we'll save 2019. 2020, I mean, is this a heavy draft class as far as forwards, defensemen, uh, a lot of talent through the board? A lot of talent through the board, for sure. And, and, and you know, one of the things you, you and I have discussed over the last few years is the talent at, at, at the call it the top 15 picks, top 20 picks, right? I'm, I'm talking top four or five forwards on a team. Number mm. one centers, top two, top three defensemen, right? right? right. Spencer Knight, top goaltender, number right. one. We're not just talking about players who are going to play in the NHL. And we saw that in last year's draft. I feel the same way about the 20, really? 20 draft. Well, Lafreniere, he's yeah. a premier winger. Lucas Raymond, Alexander Holt, the two Swedes, premier offensive players. Anton Lundell, an outstanding, outstanding two-way centerman, you know, that's playing in the Finnish uh, elite league, just like Kako did and some of the previous Finnish players that were drafted. So their, their assimilation to the NHL becomes a little bit quicker. Then, you know, you start to look at Jake Sanderson, who plays for the National Team Development Program, son of longtime NHLer Jeff Sanderson. Mm -hmm. I mean, you watch Jake play. I mean, he's got a command of the game. So there's a, there's a defenseman. I mentioned Justin Barron, who is a really good defenseman. But quite frankly, Art, it's going to be forwards again in the, really? in the top 10, 12 picks. And so a team that really is targeting a defenseman, you know, you start to look and you go, okay, if we don't take him here, when are we going to get that defenseman? And, and remember, there's tiers and there's levels of right. defensemen. So I look at Jake Sanderson, I look at Justin Barron, and you know what? There's there's not that many, much like last year when you looked at the defense and Bo and Byram stood alone. Right. And then the next group was there, but there's not a really great deep group of it. The forwards are, are, are going to be, I mean, there's a couple of players. I mean, you got Quentin Byfield who plays in Canada. You got Hendricks Lapierre. Right. You have Cole Perfetti. These are all top end. And then you have a goaltender. Yaroslav Askarov, in my view, is the best goaltender I've seen entering his draft year since Carey Price. Now, he plays for Russia. Russia. And he played, he's played the age up. Let me give you a little glimpse of what he's done as a kid playing a year ahead of his age group. Last August at the Holinka Gretzky tournament, he won a bronze medal. Russia won the bronze. He went to the World Under-17 Hockey Challenge. Russia won the gold. In December, he went to the World Junior A Challenge, which is uh, Junior A players, the USHL players, the right. USA won the gold. Russia lost in the gold medal game. He won a silver medal for that team. And then at the recently completed U18 championships in April, I mean, he lost in the, in the gold medal game to Sweden in overtime. He won another silver. In, four, in, in 10 months, in less than 10 months, he won four medals in every significant international competition he was in as a kid younger than everybody's playing against. Now, is he eligible? <laughs> yeah, he's coming up to this year's draft. 2020, huh? I don't throw this around when I say best goaltender I've seen since Carey Price. No, I, when you say Carey Price, no, I know, I know you know. I know you know. And that, and that so, is truly so we got something. So we got some defensemen, we got a goaltender, and we got all these forwards. Now, could he quite possibly, you know, team looking for goaltenders, could he be somebody that we see go extremely high? Top yeah, five, yeah, something well, like that? I, I mean, mean, hey, listen, everybody says, it amazes me, Art, when I hear, oh, the most important position is a goaltender. You can't win without goaltender. Everybody says that, right? Right, right. And then we get to the draft and go, you can't draft a goaltender. Oh, yeah, you can. If you think a goaltender is going to be a prominent number one top end goaltender, don't be waiting for him. Right. Like, yeah. You know what? That I know, never made sense to me either, yeah, though. And I know there's a timeline for goaltenders, like pitchers in baseball. I know there's a timeline for. Them. But what we see, what are we seeing in the NFL? We're seeing young quarterbacks come in that are more than capable of stepping in and playing like really early on in the careers where, used to, where there used to be a shelf life. Oh, you got to be a backup for three years and then we'll give you some reps and you know what that. We see the quarterbacks coming into the NFL now. I feel the same way about top. You're, you're going to draft. Like I'm not saying don't draft a top end goalie, but if you see one, what are you waiting for? And we saw that with Spencer Knight going to the Florida Panthers in the 2019 draft. Right. Well, you know, it's funny you bring up quarterbacks. I can remember, first of all, when they only played 14 regular season yeah. games in the NFL. And then, like, Steve Barkowski, when he came up, you know, Atlanta quarterback, it takes five years, yeah. five years for a guy <laughs> to be a backup before he can even get a starting job in the NFL. And, you know, obviously those days are gone. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty funny. And you're right, goaltenders are kind of treated the same way. Yeah. Um, 
when you look at the, uh, the the 2019 draft, let's go back there. Were there any surprises, or did it kind of fall out the way you thought it was going? Well, to? I, I mean, after after the first two picks, which everybody knew right. who they were going to be, I, you know, and and there was some discussion about could Capo Caco be the first pick, but really, right. Jack's a special. No, player you said that on the podcast. And, no way. You know, but then after that, I mean, I think the group of players that all went, what what, what do you want to call the next 15, 16 picks or 14, wherever you want to define, I, I don't think it surprised anybody. And I think that that's why, and, and I think there was an order to it. The, because the reason I say I think there was an order to it, there was only one trade in the first round with a team moving up. The, the Arizona Coyotes moved from 14 to 11, and the Philadelphia Flyers went back to 14. That tells you the teams had a pretty good feeling about an order, and there was, and because there's so many different good players at different spots of that draft, that they didn't feel a need to trade up, or there was not an advantage to trading back because other teams were maybe looking at similar type players as you. So, figure out who the players are in your range, figure out who you want, and take them. And I, I, I think the draft became very, very clear as, as it went on, and the fact that the NHL teams only had one trade in the entire first round. Yeah. That's never happened. Well, you know, it, 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 what's, what's, again, I keep saying what's interesting, Craig, is you're always like spurring things is that uh, in my mind here is that you've always said, and you've been consistent for years now, if there's a player that's available that you really like when you're picking, just take him. Just take him. You know, don't overthink it. That's the guy you want. And I'm kind of wondering, when I look at the Red Wings pick at number six, uh, he wants to be called Mo, so I'm going to call Mo Sider was moving up. I just hope, I just really hope that Mo Cheese, who we all know who Mo Cheese is, yeah, right, right. isn't offended now or that there's not some. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. I, uh, uh, you know, they're probably about the same size, really, even though Mo Cheese, you think, well, was a small guy because well, he's an NBA player. Well, but. what you could do is just say, hey, listen, we got we got some Mo Cheese to go with some Mo Cider. <laughs> right, right. Well, I was joking with him. I said, you know, cider's really big in Michigan, as you know, yeah. I mean, especially in the fall time, and oh. you know, it's going to be Mo Cider and a donut. You yeah. know, people are Absolutely. always, <laughs> always going to be uh, 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 teasing with you, but it was so odd. We kind of joke around that during the draft, the first five picks, everybody got up there and was like, hey, thanks to Vancouver, you know, my Aunt Bessie, you know, from Lethbridge is here, and I want to say hi to her, and everyone goes on, and then they make their pick. Steve gets up there, turns around, Steve Eiserman, makes sure that all, everybody who's supposed to be up there is up there, turns around and says, with the fifth pick, the Red Wings suck, Moritz Sider from the, the German Mannheim, League, yeah, yeah, from my, Mannheim, boom. I, you know, I, we're going, wow, he must really have wanted to make that pick. And I guess my question to you is, is that he was very, very definitive in all business when he got up there to make that pick. Was that the moment in the draft? As, and I know you said after the first two, you know, the next 15, we're all over that everybody kind of held their hats and said, whoa, now we've got a draft because that pick, and I'm not saying it's a reach because I know he was moving up. And, you know, big right-handed shooting defenseman, rookie of the year uh, in the German league where, you know, he's playing against men. But was that? And they won the championship. Right, right. They did win the championship. And, you know, the Red Wings saw him. Dylan Larkin played against him and raved about him uh, in the world championships. Uh, was that the moment where everybody says, okay, now – you know, let's just throw it all. You know, throw it all in a uh, you know in in a hat and wherever they land, because it seemed that once that happened, it was kind of unpredictable where where teams were going to go. Yeah, well, I I don't know if it was unpredictable, but mm -hmm. there's always players in a draft where teams target and they think they're going to get them. Now mm -hmm. I can tell you this with certainty: Mo Sider was going. If he was not going six, he's going shortly thereafter. Okay. okay. That I can tell you with certainty. Okay. okay? So right. a, and I can tell you what. There were some teams that thought that they were going to get Mo Sider. Right. And when the Detroit Red Wings stepped up and took him, it was like, darn. And, I, and I'll share a story with you. Back in the 1995 draft, I was with the Dallas Stars. We selected Jerome McGinley. And I can tell you there was teams and when people thought that we – really stepped up big. Oh my God, where are you taking Jerome McGinley at 11? We loved him. We liked him, right? We all right. know. And then and I'd love to tell you, Art, that we thought Jerome would be a 50 goal scorer in the NHL and a Hall of Famer. Right, right, right. We never felt that way. We felt Jerome was a good, strong power winger that would score 30 goals. That's what we thought. He became far more than we, than, than we projected. Right. There was teams picking far behind us that were like, 
oh, we thought we were going to get him at pick 19 or pick 22 or 21. And there was a lot of teams that thought they were going to get that same thing with Mo Sider. So it goes right back to, you know what, when people say, oh, well, you know what, you should have traded back. Listen, Steve Eiserman, like every other general manager, they're always trying to maximize their pick. Right, and right. so, but what he realized, and that's why I say with certainty, Mo Sider was going shortly thereafter, and there was no chance for Steve to do anything but take the player he wanted. And that, to me, celebrate the player you're taking, take him. He's a big, strong, excellent skating, competitive defenseman. If, that, if he gets more offense to his game, this is going to be an impressive, impressive player. And if he doesn't get you know, more offense in his game, he's still going to be a very strong player. I was talking to Jeff Blashill at the draft, right. and I started talking, we started talking about the player, and I said, you know what, I said, at the very least, he'll be Brandon Carlo. Jeff goes, I'll take Brandon Carlo right now. I guess you will. <laughs> yeah, right? okay. so, but, but Mo obviously has, uh, you know, a little bit more potential in terms of his offense, but th th that's the facts of the matter there. And the one thing I always caution people of, you know what? The NHL teams do a great job of their intel and knowing where they have to take. So, again, that's why I say, you know, that's why there wasn't a lot of trade there because teams are going, well, we're going to get this group of player. You know what? There's not an advantage to moving back because we're going to lose a player we really want. And that's the case. Right. Well, you know, Steve said it when he, he addressed the, the Detroit media uh, just before the draft and said, listen, we know kind of where everyone's going to go. We think that. <laughs> There's a group of five or six players that are going to be available in, to, in our group, and we'd be happy with one of, of the, you know, with one of those five or six. And you know, and he came right out after they drafted Cider and said, "Listen, he was in that group for us." So, I mean, I know that he, I know that he was uh, uh, pretty pleased about it. The interesting thing about Cider is, is that you look and you know, we're all. It seems like hockey has more rules than you know than you can keep track of. He can play in the AHL. Yes, he He's can. He's not 20, but he can play in the AHL. Well, the only thing that, like, the, and, and maybe this is a good opportunity for me to interject and just say yeah, some clarity. Okay. The, the ability for players to play in the NHL is there for everybody but CHL players. Right. It's, it, it's only an agreement with the Canadian Hockey League that prevents an 18 or 19 year old player from playing in the NHL. Okay. So any other player from any other country or situation can play in the AHL at 18 or 19. Well, when he can, if they're not drafted I, from the CHL. Okay. All right. So it's a CHL so yeah, because you know. Because, yeah, it's part of the CHL agreement with the NHL. Because a few years ago we thought Giovanni Smith was crazy. He said, "I'm either going to go back to junior or I'm making the Red Wings." Right. Well, because that's he was the only the option. Yeah, it was his only option. Well. He can although, play. Although you do know that Joe Valeno is, is an right, exception. Right, right, right. Oh, yeah. I, he's one of our bloggers. So, yeah, I know Joe real well. I've, but, but but he's an exception right, because right, he's because played four, four years. years. So because he, he can, got the exceptional status yeah, of 15. And, 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 and most of those players, right, like they're in the NHL, Connor McDavid, you know, John Tavares, they're in the NHL right away. So it's never – but for Joe now, and the Red Wings have an interesting decision, you know, do they put him in Grand Rapids or do, do they send him back to junior? Because his team in Drummondville is kind of dismantling. In terms of, they've traded all Olivier Rodrigue. Right, right, they right, went right. for a run for it last year, and now they're kind of in a little bit of a rebuild mode. So it'll be very interesting for Joe, but that's the exception. You, you play four years of junior, but there's only one way to play four years of junior and play in the American Hockey League at 19. That's if you get exceptional status and you get the four years. Of right, year. and you know, and you know, and obviously Joe's all geared about making the Red Wings sure this year, and, and you know, and Steve has been really open and honest and saying, hey, there's jobs available. So hey, more power to him. You know, I mean, I'm not going to. Uh, tell him that he can't make the Red Wings, you know. And, and if he goes to Grand Rapids, and, you know, and, and who knows where Zadina will be at? Maybe put a line with him, and you've got a really good line in the future. But going back to Cider, is that he can either play for Grand Rapids or he can go back to Mannheim. The Red Wings are gonna, you know, talking to Ryan Martin about it. One of our a couple of podcasts ago, he said the assistant general manager of the Red Wings, general manager of Grand Rapids, that. I think they're going to try to, they want to be delicate with it because I get the feeling from Sider that he wants to go back to Germany. He wants to play for Mannheim if he doesn't make the Red Wings first and foremost. They all want to make the, the big club. We know that. You know, you've, you're familiar with all these leagues. Is 
Is it more beneficial to him to maybe try it in the AHL, even though he'll only be 18, or, or to go back in Mannheim where he's comfortable, where he was Rookie of the Year, in a league from what I've been told is not that bad. I mean, it's not, you know, it's not the Swedish league, it's not Liga and Finland and all that kind of stuff, but it's not a bad, it wouldn't be bad for him to go back to Germany, I guess what I'm well, saying. It, I think when you're looking at young players, and in this case, Mo Sider, you're evaluating what's the best thing for his development. So he's already played in, 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 a, in a senior league and call it against men, okay? okay. which we know he does, and was successful on a team that won the championship. So you're not bringing a player from a junior program potentially into the American Hockey League. Right, right. He's already been used to that type of grind. Now, what he isn't used to is is the, the number of games you're going to be playing. So now the Detroit Red Wings can look at it and say, okay, how many games do we want him to play? Do, are we going to spot him in at, at 18 years of age, play in the World Junior Tournament, and, and look at it from that perspective? And, and now... We have more of an, a, of an ability to have our people work with them. And, and that becomes a lot easier uh, when, when they're just a few hours up the road in Grand Rapids playing in the uh, American Hockey League. So I think you're, you're balancing out, you know, w where do we think he can develop right, the best? Right, right. And how much do we want to have an influence on that? Not that you won't if he's over in Mannheim, but on a daily basis, your coaches and working right. with your other young prospects. I think that's what the discussion is. It's not about can he, ha he's shown that he can handle himself uh, in, in, in a league beyond him because he's physically advanced. Right. But that's, it's not so much as, is the German league a good league or is the right, American right. league a, a better league? What's best for, for Mo Sider? And I, I think once the Red Wings, they can contemplate the different ideas, but then when they get him into training camp, and they watch him and they see where he's at. And that'll start with a rookie camp, with the rookie tourney up in uh, Traverse City. And then they can start to see where he's at and everything. And keep in mind that the Red Wings have had lots of really good young defensemen. And the Tampa Bay Lightning, under Steve Eiserman's guidance, have had a lot of good young defensemen come in. So they have a really good benchmark to evaluate where a player is at and then be able to assess what's the, what's the next step for them. Right, well, no, that, I mean, that's a terrific answer because you know, again, I mean, I'd like to consider myself a, you know, a real hockey observer, but I'm just a fan. I really am. <laughs> I'm just a hockey fan. And for me, you know, and because people always come up to me at the rink. Here, you know, the, you know hey, what do you think, what do you know, all this kind of stuff. And I really don't know what to tell them half the time because, I'm again, I'm not a real aficionado. But, but what's interesting, because everyone looks at it, and this is the first thing out, and, and I ask you the question. Well, is the German league a good league? Is it the AHL's got to be better because that's that's how fans, I guess, the people's mindset is. Well, how good's the league? How good's the league? But then again, we never take into consideration what's best for the player, and that's exactly. And you know, you're a general manager in the league. You know that. I mean, you know, you 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 have. That's why I always love to talk to you, Craig, because. You make way too much sense for somebody like me, <laughs> but, 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 but I get, but, but I get it. When you look at the Red Wings draft, and I asked Steve about this, this is the first time in the history of the NHL draft that the Red Wings did not select one player from the CHL. For, that's the Quebec League, the Western League, and of course the the Ontario Hockey League. He said we had our, you know, we had a couple guys that we wanted, and I think. I know in the first round that probably is Kirby Dock or, uh, uh, or Bowen Byram, but it just sort of fell that way. You know, he said, hey, we, you know, we, you know, he didn't come out and say this, but he was, you know, we have nothing against the CEHL. It's just the way it happened. Should Red Wing fans be surprised? Because obviously the Red Wings have a, a, a huge Canadian fan base too with Windsor just, you know, being to the south of Detroit. Yeah, okay, uh, I mean, but, was that weird or? No, not at all. It's not weird at all. So I'm going to go back to, to you and when you said that uh, you're a fan. Right. The fans, you know, they're the heart of, of the sport and the, the, the passion that they bring and the excitement they bring in and, and the disappointment and the criticism that they express when things aren't going well. Right. Fans, you know, don't, in my view, don't look at a team and go, oh, I'm not rooting for that team, they're really good, but there's not enough players from the OHL on it, <laughs> right. okay? Or there's not the, there's not a player from Michigan on my team, right? right. Like, you know, right. did, did any Red Wings fan not like the Russian Five? 
Did they not like Zetterberg? Right. Did they not like Nick Lichstrom? Right. Like, I right. mean, like, the, 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 like Yuri Fisher, who does player development for now, they were part of good teams. You root for the team, right? Right, right. There's zero concern. In a course of a draft, you're working on a list, right? And if you start, if you start looking, okay, we don't have a CHL player, we better draft one here, right? Well, then now you're adding criteria that isn't necessary. You're trying to find players, right, and, right. And, and integrate them. So if next year, if the Red Wings draft nothing but North American players, are they going to be accused of being anti-Europe? Right, right, right you exactly. Know? <laughs> you know? That's exactly right. And they will be. Yeah. So that's just <laughs> that's just the way it is, right? And I don't right. think there's I don't think there's anything at all to read into it. The this is the way the draft, this is the way their list and their evaluations fell into it, and that's the way it is. And now it's incumbent upon the players to work and put in an effort to get become better players and the Red Wings to help them try to realize their potential. Well, when you look at, uh, you know, it's like the old Seinfeld routine, right? That you root for the uniform. Yeah. You know, it is if totally he's true. in your uniform one day and the next day he's not, suddenly guy's a bum, you know? Well, <laughs> it, it was really interesting. And uh, watching uh, the reaction to the Milan Lucic trade. Oh, for yeah. James Neal. Right. Edmonton versus Calgary. So Milan Lucic moves down to Calgary and James Neal moves up to Edmonton. So, you know, there's a great rivalry there and oh, yeah. everything that We've goes with it. We've seen the Battle of Alberta, we know. Right. You know. So it's amazing that Milan Lucic, who has struggled mightily the last two seasons, and James Neal, who, who had no traction whatsoever, and the fans in Calgary were all disappointed in Neal, and the fans in Edmonton were all disappointed in Lucic. So now they get traded, and the fans now in, in Edmonton are all saying, oh yeah, James Neal, 20 goal scorer, we're going to be really happy, this is exactly what we need. And the fans in Calgary are all saying, Milan Lucic, he's exactly what we need, right? So they wear your uniform, <laughs> they're, 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 there's all kinds of forgiveness, right? And so and, and when they don't wear your uniform, they're no good. <laughs> it, it is pretty funny. It is pretty funny. It goes, I'm going to ask you, because fans, this is what yeah, they really look forward let's to. Let's go through. Here's the, here's the guys that the Red Wings yep. drafted. Quick analysis, and and then uh, we'll have to wrap it up. Uh, uh, it's it's kind of like your day off here at the uh, Summer Showcase. I know you had a few things to do. A but. few things to do? I had uh, about 90 minutes of work to do. Really? Yeah, oh yeah. Well, you know what? There's people that are interested. We, you know, A lot of people want to know about the players here. So they want to know how, how the teams, what the competition looks like. Then they want to know. Then you have the, the, the NHL team's prospects right. they want to know. And then the, the draft. So... Uh, the, the, there's a lot of, there's a feeding frenzy out there, Art. Well, you know, how there is a feeding frenzy. <laughs> I will tell, like, when I first got in this business, business many, many years, uh, years ago, even though, you know, I covered all the sports, there was a definitive off-season for each sport. Yes. There was a down period. It doesn't seem to be that anymore at all for any sport. And I swear to God, Craig, hockey seems to be played 365 days a year. It's being played somewhere right now as we speak. Well, we know here at the showcase, but it's un unbelievable. It, it really is. So the Continental Hockey League, the KHL in Russia, has been training for three weeks. And, and their season's going to be starting up here, in a, you know, towards the third week of August, like, you know, the last week of August. So just think about, you know, like they've been training. I mean, their season ended a little bit earlier, but you're exactly right. There's hockey being played somewhere. Well, you know, that's why I became such a big CFL fan growing up in Detroit. I mean, I love the Toronto Argonauts. I love them. Because, Not this year. Well, no, God, gosh, <laughs> no, no. When Ricky Ray retired, I knew that they were going to be in bad shape. But, but, but looking at it, because Channel 9 in Windsor, CBC, would show football beginning in July. And before, and you know, I'm, I'm really dating myself, but as I said, believe it or not, and the young people today don't believe me, they used to play six preseason games in the NFL. Six and only 14 regular season. So it was an eternity before the football season started. You know, I'm always looking forward to Michigan, obviously. So that's how I started watching Canadian football. And I think it's a great game, first of all. I know even the Canadian Red Wings think I'm crazy. I always ask the Canadian, well, who's your favorite CFL team? Most of them don't have one. <laughs> but well, it's a different style of game, right? Yeah, yeah. And, and you know what it really does? And you, you know, it's it's July football. It, it, it gets your football fixed. Oh, yeah, down, there's right? no that, doubt. That, that's yeah. it. I mean, I love the Argos, you yeah. know. I mean, I, I, I try to go. I haven't in a few years. And I'm definitely not going to go this year. Go to Toronto and at least see one... Uh, one Argos game, but let's get into this draft, and then, uh, and, and as I said, well, okay, well, most Sider, I mean, we, we've talked about him. Uh, you know, people kind of 
because it's Steve, I think they're really giving him a benefit of the doubt here in Detroit, but he's a pretty good hockey player. I mean, were you surprised that he went at six? Uh, no, because like I said, uh, you know, he, he wasn't going very very much later than six. He, he was going shortly thereafter. And, I, you know, and, and you know, we talked about it leading into the draft that who has, who, who has lift in their, in their balloon? And, and Mo Sider probably had the most lift of anybody. And, you know, going and playing at the World Championships for Germany, I think really, really, because now you're playing against NHL players, so that becomes an assessment that isn't uh, very often the case with players, with young 18-year-old right. players. So I think that helped along with it. But he, he's a really good, competitive, really strong skating defenseman. And, you know, like I said, the, that offense moves forward. I mean, you, you're, you could be looking at a, at a really, really strong player for the Red Wings for, for, for a lot of years to come. He had, I think, the best reaction of anybody that was drafted, though. I mean, he looked, he was overjoyed. He was surprised. I don't think he could believe it when I interviewed him after he was drafted that he, you know, that he went, you know, he knew Detroit liked him, but he just didn't think that. Well, I think what ends up happening with a young player like that, you play, you start to see your name, you know, mentioned as, as, a, as a prospect. Then you start to see your name mentioned in the first round. Then it's firmly entrenched in the first round. Then they start talking about how well you're, and then he's also measuring himself. Right. When you go to the world championships and you start to go, okay, wait a second here. Maybe maybe I, maybe I am as good as people think I am. And I think that it, it, <laughs> it, we're, we're talking about a real, you, you know, he's really genuine in terms of his excitement, but probably also a little bit of, of how quick it happened and, and the surprising, it becomes surprising sometimes well, for yeah. young players it, like that. You know, I mean, he's, yeah, I, he, he just, he's a very affable young man, oh, you yes. know, and so it's, uh, uh, it, it, it will be, uh, I think he's going to, I don't think, and again, going back, I think players determine this. You know, Mike Babcock always said it, you know, I don't determine ice time, players determine ice time. And he said it for years, all 10 years he was here in Detroit. That was, that was a mantra practically. But, you know, I think that Cider will be fast-tracked based on how he is going to prepare himself. I think he, I, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to be too surprised if he isn't in Detroit two or three years from now. I really, I really think, well, you know, and maybe even sooner. Who I knows? I'll tell you what, I, don't be surprised. <laughs> right, 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 right. It's one thing to play in the German league, and, and if you're good, and because there's not a lot of great talent there, so you rise up. He was on the championship team, and Mannheim's serious about being competitive and giving themselves the best chance to win. They're not doing it unless you were in your spot on that team. Right. Well, he, you know, he definitely. Uh, proved himself. Red Wings had three second-round picks, beginning at 35th pick overall. Andy uh, Tumisto, uh, Finnish defenseman, uh, offensive-minded, plays with a little bit of grit. What do you know uh, about Andy? What he is is he's a work in progress. Mm -hmm. So he's a bigger, rangier player. So a lot of those elements of coordination, you know, the strength that comes with, you know, being able to get your your body over your legs to carry you and be more assertive with your leverage and whatnot. Those are all the things that are developmental for Ante. He's got a really good shot. He's got really great confidence with the puck. But, you know, part of the development process is understanding, you know what, when those plays can be made with the puck, when they can't be made with the puck, and then just allowing the net, what I call the natural laws of maturity to take place. Right. You know what? He, he's going to progress. He was a good player on the U18 team for Finland, has every chance to be a member of the World Junior team for Finland. Despite him not being here, certainly he's on the radar. Make no mistake about it. And the hallmark of Finland's World Junior team is going to be their blue line. They got a really good blue line. But Antti Tomisto, depending on how he starts off here, uh, it'll be interesting to see if he can uh, get himself into in, into the camp in uh, in December. Well, Mo Sider weighs a few more pounds, but they're both six foot four, right-handed shooting defensemen. So it's pretty. It's, it was pretty apparent, I thought, with the first four picks that the Red Wings had. Uh, they took, chose three defensemen. I mean, they, Detroit's blue line is going to need to be rebuilt here, uh, just because guys are just getting older. But uh, uh, Tomisto, uh, the 54th overall, they went to Robert Mastrosimoni, a player I know that the Red Wings really, really like. Unfortunately, he would also be here for Team USA at the uh, World Junior Summer Showcase, but he broke his ankle in development camp. But uh, uh, this is a guy that Chris Draper said when they interviewed him, Five minutes into the interview, it was just like hockey players talking hockey. You know, it wasn't about 
anything else, you know, but he really, they really gravitated to him. You know what he is? It's great that Chris talked about that. He's a hockey player. And so, you, you know, you hear lots about measurables, right? Like, so if you want to take Robert and you want to have him race up and down the ice, right? He's not going to show up the fastest, right? He's not the flashiest of players, right? He's not this big, imposing guy. But when the puck gets dropped in the game, you know, he's got the puck. He's, he's finding a way to get scoring chances. He's finding a way to finish those scoring chances. He's got a, a, a real elusiveness to him. Excellent hockey sense, excellent offensive mind, creativity, and what he needs is, is again, just those elements of development. A little more strength gives him a little bit more power, gives him a little bit more quickness. So the areas that he's already having some success in, he'll be able to expand those areas. He'll be able to move into those areas and put defenders more on their heels and create even more opportunities. Excellent passer, got a really deceptive shot. But those types of offensive players, you always hear this, how did they get him at pick 54? Right, right. That's the type of player, when you have the hockey sense, and you have the puck skills, and you have the ability, I'm gonna go back to, everybody says play fast? Right. Robert's got a fast mind. He's got a fast processor in there that understands how to take advantage of opportunities. When you, you know, I, he's going to BU, Boston University, and going back to Tomisto, Tomisto's playing in Finland for the, uh, for Liga again, right. and the junior team, I think, and because he wants his NCAA, uh, ability. He's going to go to college next year. He's going to go play. Wants to play American college and get used to the uh, uh, system. Is, is that something that we're seeing more of? Uh, just players in general. It seems a lot more players seem to be going a college route. Or am I just you know imagining? Well, what it says that? Is it, like the, the the NCAA schools have opened up. You know, a platform for the, to to make their case to players, and then they, you see players that come over and play in the NCAA and have success and. Players that, you, you know, I, I say all the time, Art, the vast majority of players need more time than not. So now you're 18, you're 19, and then you can give yourself some NCAA college hockey. You know, that gets you to 21 or 22, and now now your body's really more mature right, and right, ready to right. handle it. And I think the players, they see that path, they see an understanding of how to be better, and I, I, I think it really helps them. And, I you know, if that's a path, if you want to be a student athlete, and the colleges have done a great job of making their case to these players. And we talked earlier about how the world has, has kind of melded together the styles, but also the different opportunities. Kids coming to play in the USHL from Europe, kids coming to play right. in the NCAA. They were coming over to, to the CHL, but now everybody else has said, wait, come to us. We got a good program here as well. Right, well, you know, uh, Philip Larson will be in Grand Rapids right. this yeah, year. He was he, in Denver. Yeah, he was at Denver, and then he, before that he was in uh, uh, played for uh, Tri-City in the USHL, USHL. so I mean, it, it's uh, 60th pick overall, the last pick they had in the second round of the Red Wings. Albert Johansson, uh, six foot, left-handed shooting defenseman from Sweden. He was on that gold medal winning U18 team. Now understand that, uh, you know, just to give a little bit of background here, Victor Soderstrom, who went 11th overall to the Arizona Coyotes, got hurt in the U18 tournament, and he was out of the lineup. And so now, your other players have to step up. Right. And that team won the gold medal. Right. Albert was one of those players. He, what, what I would, what I would call him is as a player similar to Jared McIsaac, territorial, competitive. Like he not only wants to hold on to his space and make sure he wants to take your space away from you. He's in the he's in the fight. He's in the battle. He he's making sure that you're not getting inside of him. He's making sure you're not getting an easy passage to the net. He's trying to eliminate you where you can't gain the zone. And he's also trying to take you off the puck and break the cycle so that you can get the puck moving up to your forwards. He really is. He moved forward, Art. It became very very obvious that this was a player that was capable of a lot more. So for the Red Wings in a second round pick, I mean, you're, you're always looking at potential. You're always right, looking right. at what their upside is. You hear what's their ceiling and what's their upside. He, he's, he, he has that ability to me to be one of those really good, solid, what I would say, not, a, not, not an offensive contributor, but a player that becomes really important to getting offense. Because the less time you spend in your own zone, the more quick you can break up the cycle and get it moving up, the better off you're gonna be as a team. When uh, in the third round, Red Wings had one pick, 66 overall. A guy who has already endeared himself to uh, <laughs> Red Wing fans at development camp plays with a little bit of an edge. You know, it's surprising when 
Thomas Holmstrom came over. He was the Swedish demolition man. We're saying, but Sweden's a neutral co country. Well, I, I would assume that Albin Guevara, uh, he, uh, I think people were surprised, or for, again, the buzz in Vancouver, that he lasted as long as he did, and the Red Wings got him in the third round. Shocked. Really? That's what I was, shocked. So, Albin, Albin is 100% uh, dialed in, whatever it takes to win. Whatever it takes to win. That's what I, that's what he's going to do. He is. He plays with an. He's an. He's an excellent skater. He plays with an edge. He plays with a competitive edge. He can kill penalties. He can play. See, the one thing that I love about Alvin is he might not be a great goal scorer, a great offensive player, because you know you got to have those finishing hands, right? It's a, right. It's the difference between the, uh, a framer and a fi finishing carpenter, right? Like it doesn't. Right. They're both important skills to have when you're building the house, but they they, they require different skills. But Albin can play with good players and because he understands how to create advantages for those good players. And so you create opportunities, you, you, you win pucks along the boards, you, you carve out space because he plays in a straight line, he plays in a direct forward manner. And he's not interested in anything else but doing whatever it takes to help the team win. I, I was shocked. Like, it was one of those things where you're, you're watching the draft unfold, and this is right. on the Saturday, right. right? And I remember it was about 55 picks into the second into the draft, so in the second round. And I'm going, where did Grove go? And, and I'm looking up at the board, I'm like, wait, he hasn't gone yet? So then I, I said, he had to have been gone. I must be not right. seeing it here. So I went on the <laughs> on, on my on my phone, and, and at the, the NHL website, you can search it by name, and he hadn't been drafted yet. And I was kind of like, that was one of those real surprising moments. Right. But I think they got a really, really competitive player. And, I mean, all, everybody, I think, knows about Ethan Phillips, right? Right, like, right. They, 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 he, who boarded. <laughs> <laughs> he had Zadina. He, I mean, he, who didn't he have, I guess? But, but isn't that an amazing right, story? Like, right. you think about, like, all of a sudden, you, 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 have these, you have these players that are bordering with you. Now, now, all of a sudden, you're drafted by the team that had them. Like, I mean, like. It, 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 it is an amazing story, and Ethan's a, a really interesting player. Like you know, when you when you think about you know the skating, you know he's got skill, and you know again you've heard me say this, but I don't skill with a tape measure. Right, I, I just right. don't. No, no, no. And, I you know, know what? you don't. And and but you know what? Like that's how you get players. Like and like he's got a chance to do some things. I mean because he he's got requisite skills to be able to you know get himself to the NHL. Uh, yeah, fourth round pick, 97th overall. Then we get into the fifth round. Uh, uh, a kid, kind of a high school, around five, uh, 128th, Cooper Moore, another defenseman. Uh, you know, I, again, I, you know, I've always heard after you get down in the five and six rounds, you really rely on your scouts, number one. And these are guys that may have a little bit longer path, but they do, they have shown potential. You should never draft a player that doesn't have NHL attributes. No. So right. whether that's one attribute, whether that's two attributes, but when you're, and, and this is a key part of the draft, and, and when, when I say this, this is where, you know, you look at scouting staffs and people say, well, you know what, how, how come we have this many scouts? Well, I'll right. tell you why you have that many scouts. Because you need to know a lot about a little. And you know what, the top scouts in your organization, they only have so much time to evaluate the top end of the draft, the right. first three rounds then you really need the regional scouts to know their areas inside out. You need to know, and, and, they, and they need to understand what the criteria is, what the attributes you're looking for, and then who do you want from there? And you gotta rely on them. Because mm -hmm. if you don't rely on them, number one, then you're gonna, you, you have no opportunity to be able to really evaluate the different areas. I say this often about scouting. A lot of times teams where they're making mistakes is they know a little about a lot. You need to know a lot about a little. Mm -hmm. And this is where the regional scouts really become important because they watch these players more than anybody else. They've got a good grasp on what the criteria is. And then they say, this is the guy we want. And you got to trust them. And so when you look at Cooper Moore, he kind of fits that bill. Absolutely he does. And then, and that's all, then that's what it's all about, right? Trusting your, because you know what? The regional scouts, they work for the Red Wings. 
they, they want to do the best for the Red Wings, and, and they want to find these players. They right. know what their job is, right? Right, right. So they're not recommending players they don't believe in, right? They're recommending <laughs> yeah, players, and, right. and they so much. They go, this is a Red Wing. This is the guy we want. So that's why they be, and that's why you better listen to them. Because if you have the right guys, then listen to them. Um, in the sixth round pick, 159, actually, he was pretty impressive in, uh, uh, in development camp, and actually, Alvin punched him in the face. They got into it a little bit. <laughs> Which, which Sean Horkoff had the best line was like Swedish on Swedish crime. You never see that, you know. <laughs> uh, but uh, he's a big kid, 6'6", 219 pounds. Uh, you know, kind of a string bean. But uh, that is uh, uh, Elmer uh, Soderblom, who actually looks like for a six-round pick seems to have a lot of upside. So, so he, here's the thing with Elmer, and, and and when you go back to Alvin, like they played together on on. on under 18 teams, under 17 teams. And, he looked shocked but, when he and, got punched. Yeah, I'll but that's okay. But they, they they compete against each other in the junior league in Sweden. Yeah. So and 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 I can tell you what, like Albin can create friction where maybe there is no friction. Like right. that's because of the way he plays. Right. But Elmer is. You, you know what Elmer needs? Elmer needs that time to let his body just kind of come all together. Right. Like, you know what? Like and just you know. The, Get his legs underneath him. Get the maturity. Get the coordination, right? And and then as he's able to mature, he's going to get some more power. He, he, there's a couple of things about Elmer that when I talk about NHL attributes, he's got really good hands. He can handle the puck. He can make plays. He's got a good mind in terms of trying to create offense and trying to understand how I'm going to create those opportunities, right? And he's a good competitor. And when I, I evaluate players and I look at skating and I say, do they have room to improve? Skating is such a prerequisite to having success in the NHL, right? And if you don't have it, now there's there's lots of. I mean, if Elmer Soderblom was a better skater, he's a much higher pick. Right. But he's got room to improve in that area, and so the key becomes letting him improve, letting him go through it. He's a longer-term project, but that's okay because he has, as I said, he's got attributes that are really important. Six-round pick again. Red Wings actually traded down and got two. Uh, couple of picks. Uh, Gustav Berglund, uh, right-handed shooting defenseman, uh, good size, 6'2", 194 pounds. Well, this is where you get to the part of the draft. And, you know, I'm going to be straightforward with yeah. you. These are now the players that I don't know very much about. No, no, right? yeah, well, I, but, I know that. But, but, but these are players now that, like, again, you're relying on your regional scouts. You're relying on your area scouts. Tell us who, who, who you think has got potential. Th these are what you exactly call diamonds in the rough. Right, you, right. You hope with a little bit of polishing and, you know, a little bit of a cut here and a cut there to, to give them some clarity that they're going to be players that can move forward. But, I mean, you, you, you look at the work that uh, the Detroit Red Wings have done with Hawk and Anderson as their director of European scouting. Right. I, I don't think anybody would say it hasn't been excellent. Right, and, right. And then they should. So, you know, when, when Hawkins, one of those scouts that when he recommends a player, you just go, okay. Right. Well, you know, and he, you know, he, and he, he was, he spoke after the draft and he was saying that, you know, one of the things that he, when he started, and it was really surprising, I thought that he would admit this, he said, now I had to do it with a lot of the Swedish guys, and he's talking over the course of his career here, um, is you got to have a compete level. You've got to be able to compete. And it was very, very difficult to get them to start thinking that way. And I thought, wow, that's really, really interesting. He says, everyone that we've drafted has high compete level. Because the Red Wings did draft a lot of Europeans and Swedes in this this time around. I'll ask you about these uh, the, the last two, and I don't know. Uh, pick uh, round seven, pick 190. Uh, Kirill, I believe, to Tayev. Uh, he was a guy that the Red Wings liked. Not very big, but offensively skilled. So certainly he has shown something, I would assume. Uh, that he has a, a, an NHL, some sort of NHL skill set. So what I would say about Kirill, too, is is that, so Russia, you know, you, you, you start to have, and you hear it, and, and it can be legitimate, the uncertainty around their contracts, right? It's not as easy to get in there and see right. some of the players, especially the junior players. It becomes a more difficult thing. So when you start to watch a player and you, and you get a glimpse of them at a tournament or you, or, or you get some viewings of them somewhere else, you, you might not have as many as you want, but if you know what your attributes that you're assessing that you want in a player and they're there, and they're certainly there with Kirill, right. I mean, it, it, it's very interesting coming here and watching the young Finnish player 
that they drafted in the seventh round. Oh, uh, Otto Kevin Mackey. Yeah, Kevin Mackey, okay? Yeah. I remember talking to Huck and Anderson after they drafted him, and he said he's really small right now, but he's got compete level. I'm going to use Hawkins' yeah. word. He's yeah. got com high compete level. He's got skill. He's got brains. Well, now, guess what? He's bigger. He's grown. And he's, he's doing more things in the game at a higher level, and that's what the progress is. That's what you're looking for. But if you don't have the compete level and you can't skate, you can't think, you can't make plays, right? It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're six foot ten and you're built like the Hulk, or, or you're five foot two. It doesn't matter. They have those elements, and so certainly Kirill does as well. Really. And the last pick, uh, and I think it was kind of a surprise pick. It was a goaltender, uh, Carter uh, uh, Guylander, whom the talk on the draft floor was when the Red Wings drafted him, is that. No one thought he was going to be drafted. Everyone thought they could sign him to a deal, though. That they were going to, you know, bring him in as a, uh, you know, a camp tryout or whatever, a PTO, or I'm not sure exactly how that works. But, but when the Red Wings drafted him and Brian Mahoney Wilson, the Red Wing goaltending coach, says, "I can't believe we got, you know, that he was available and we got him." And I know goaltenders especially, but here's a guy that I guess. You should be encouraged by if you're a Red Wing fan. Well, I mean, so, so, so you have the goaltending coach that says, hey, we're happy to get this guy. So yeah. that's the guy that's going to be working with him, right? So, right, like, right. You know, so you, you want to have you want to have players and, and that your development people want to work with. They right, feel right, like right, there's right. real opportunity here, right? Again, right. it goes back to what I said about the regional scouts. They care. They want to make sure that they get a player and that they're, 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 they're recommending players that can help the Red Wings. It's no different here. You know, you just take those goaltenders, like a player taking that late, mm -hmm. just put them aside. You know what? Just out of sight, out of mind, work with them, monitor them and everything. And I'm always reminded of Pekka Rene. Right. You know the story about Pekka Rene? No. Pekka Rene, Ray Shiro was working for the Nashville Predators. He was the assistant general manager. And ironically, I was in Germany watching a tournament, and Ray and I were hooking up in, uh, in Sweden and uh, to travel together and watch some games. He was coming from Finland. Uh, so we, we, we get there and we start talking, and we don't trade it. No, I mean, the trading right. of information. And, and Ray asked me how the tournament was, I, you know, in general terms, you know, this and that. And, and he goes, well, you got, you got, Ray, you know, it was last night. He goes, I had a first. He goes, our Finnish scout said, listen, he goes, we got to get there for the warm-up. I need you to watch this goaltender. He doesn't play very much, but I want you to watch him in the warm-up. And so he, he didn't tell me who it was, right? right like, right, you know, right. I didn't know where he, he didn't tell me where he was or what right, game he right. was at. And I said, oh, that's interesting, right? And uh, so he says, yeah, I've never seen that before. So anyway, the draft happens, right? And I see Ray. Ray goes, Pecorini, the guy we just drafted in the 11th round, that was the guy. And you know what Ray said? And this is, again, this is about listening to your people. Ray said, well, am I going to go in? Tell our guy that, like you know, we hire you to tell us who to who to draft, and you know, and look at our look at our players and look at our list and give us some. He goes, he really believed in this kid. Wow, wow. It doesn't happen unless Ray Shiro is open-minded. Right. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen unless they give the regional scout the ability to say, I want this guy. Believe in me. That's how the. So when we start talking about drafting a goaltender late in the draft, there's many examples. Players like that. Wow, well, Pecker, great. So, well, you know, and Red Wing fans look no further than Philip Larson. He was the sixth round That's pick. That's exactly right. Two years ago at this tournament, he was the third goalie on yes, the Swedish he was, team. Yeah. He was upset. He didn't think the coaching staff knew who he was. And, you know, he, he then ended up playing. Uh, Ryan Martin, I can remember talking to Ryan Martin saying, I don't even know if he's going to get a game in this tournament. And we saw our hope. So he played the third game. And then he ended up playing the game against Finland, their, their natural rival, which is how this tournament ends on Saturday here. Finland plays Sweden, USA plays uh, plays Canada. Uh, and then he just went on, had a great season in the USHL. He's been nagged with injuries, Denver, and now, if all things go right, he's going to be competing for the starting job in Grand Rapids, and, you know, he can be fast-tracked to Detroit soon. But, 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 but it's not even so much, I mean, like, you'd like every player to get there sooner rather yeah, than later. Yeah, I know, I know. But you, you, you have to, they have to be ready. Right. Right, and like, you know what? So now for Phillip, you know, USHL, national team, Denver, he, he's he's taken the necessary steps. You know, he's he, he's had continuous success there. Now he's going to take the next step. He's never played at the American Hockey League level. So now he's going to be challenged in a different way. But he's, he's supported, 
And that's why you got to be patient. And, and, and maybe his first month will be terrible. Right. But that doesn't mean that he's not on the right track. And maybe his first month will be fabulous. But that doesn't mean he's ready to come into the NHL as well. Right. No, and, you know, and that's a great point. But what I really like about him is, is that he knows that. Yeah, he will uh, tell but, you. But that's the key, right? Yeah, right. He understands it. He goes, look, I mean, I'm not ready for the Red Wings. I mean, he'll be the first to tell you that. Well, you know? But every organization, they, they want their players as like they want them to, and that's why when you're continuously evaluating the development process the development progress mm -hmm. you know, it's really incumbent upon having people in the development area that are, that are working with the players a coach in your minor league system coaches that are really emphasizing you know here's what we're trying to do to help you get better the feedback has to be on a continuous loop the player taking it the player applying it yeah, and, and you know, and understanding, hey, this is where the progress is. Here's what we're going to do. It has to. You can draft great, right? And if you don't develop well, it doesn't matter. And you can develop well, and if you don't draft well, it doesn't matter. Right? They go hand in hand, and understanding the process is just as important as helping them through the process. Well, Craig, we're going to have to end it there. But the words of wisdom there, and I think <laughs> I, you know, take. Take it to heart there, Red Wing fans, what Craig's saying, because it makes uh, it makes sense, and it's uh, it's the gospel as far as I'm concerned. Well, let, let, let me just finish with this, this quick note. Okay. I've said this, like, you know, Steve Eisenman, the new general manager in, in, in Detroit, and, I, I, you know, Ken Holland, the longtime uh, player here, chief scout, you know, obviously great success, and he, he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. There's no question about right. it. And, you know, like, you, you look at it, and Kenny, when he was introduced up in uh, Edmonton, you know, people wanted to, he said, listen, when you're in the business long enough, you're going to make mistakes. He goes, I did a lot more good things than I did bad things. Right. And I think that the Red Wings are in a really good position. It was inevitable that the Red Wings, based on their unprecedented quarter century success, right. were going to have a downfall. It didn't matter who was leading it. Right. And, and there's different things as you're trying to go through it. But this team is really positioned nicely. There's more cap space. There's more cap space coming. There's a really good, really good system of good young prospects in it. So, well, Ken Holland moves on to Edmonton. Steve Eisenman comes in here. The Red Wings, in my view, are in a really good place. Well, thank you, Craig, for joining us here on the Red and White Authority, and uh, I really do appreciate it. Uh, I, I enjoy it so much, and, uh, and hopefully, uh, Michigan's football team will make us both happy this year. Well, yeah, well, <laughs> but, uh, listen, my dear friend and colleague, Tessa Bonham, who uh, works for TSN, no, no. she played at Ohio State, women's hockey. She's in the Ohio State Buckeyes Hall of Fame, right? We have a standing bet art on the Michigan-Ohio State football game. I have been paying the bet now for too long. Oh, well, yeah. I, uh, <laughs> and, I feel and, for you. And more than that, I don't mind paying my bets, but it's more that Tessa is reminds me on a continuous basis that, <laughs> you know what, you're not winning any of these bets. Yeah, well, yeah. well I, I've been hearing it, too, from my Buckeye friends. So, uh, again, though, Craig, thanks for joining us. Uh, uh, really appreciate your time. It's always great to have you on the Red and White Authority. Thanks for having me. My pleasure.